And to extract these souls, Dia lures men to her home with promises of sex. And in the midst of men's passion, she unleashes nine tales, one from every orifice. Yes, every orifice um, that connects to the man into their orifices. Yes. Uh, orifice eye. Uh, and can I, it, <laughs> you see like yeah. the one and he's like, oh, and I was like, I know where that one went. Um, <laughs> You know how we do sometimes. Sometimes we say spooky words. We say words that are scary. We sound angry. We sound happy. We're we like, are, oh, we're like, whoa. oh, <laughs> we're like whole people, Gabe. What? Yeah, this it's whole so time. cool. Um, and we often here on the Ghouls talk about media literacy from a horror lens, where we examine the examine the real life historical uh, folklore and all kinds of reasons behind our cinematic fears and this series is about monstrous femmes um we've talked yeah. about succubi we've talked about werewolves we we've talked about vampires we have and now we're talking about kumihos yeah um and the also the japanese one i forget the name of uh i have it written down kitsune kitsune and the holy jean which is chinese we are talking about Naruto. No, I'm kidding. We're not talking about Naruto. <laughs> no, nine-tailed foxes, specifically. They're yeah. also, like, they're, they have lots of similarities, but also lots of, like, pretty stark differences. So it's interesting. It's interesting yeah. why foxes have permeated in such a way. And it's spe- specifically there, right? Like, we don't have... There's like, maybe more foxes, like, in locale. Like, I don't know if we have such a closely knit relationship with wild foxes here yeah yeah culturally yeah but i was just thinking <laughs> like, like culturally the, the white the whiteness times they don't they don't have respect for any animals so there's not it's very true um <laughs> but also like when we were talking about like uh like succubi or vampires like that's the the Lilith woman, right? The empowered woman yeah. and how it's, it's portrayed in the Eurocentric way. Um, and then when you get over to like Asian cultures, they, there's three, like the fact that there's in Korea, J- Japan and China have some form of her, uh, like that's their take on what it looks yeah. like. And, and, and as Kat will describe too, um, there's, also some good in it which is is very interesting because in, in uh this what we found in the succubi and um things like that is that the power that's seen in there is from women taking back this uh-huh. idea and being like it's actually not bad that we're this cool but there's like a whole cultural thing that goes with um a good kumiho um yeah. versus always evil yeah it's also interesting like what makes them scary uh like i think there's a knowledge element to it where uh 
I feel like maybe vampires offer the same level of scary because like they've lived long enough to have opinions um, about life and witnessing humanity be horrible forever. Yeah. Um, but there was like an intelligence to the Kamiho specifically that was really interesting. I thought it gave it a different lens than say like the succubus, which is the whole goal is to like eat babies and eat people. Mm-hmm. Um, through saving your energy and that's it yeah and like werewolves similar it's like consumption uh but there's there's more of like this view of the animalistic as like less than but also not like viewing it as if it was like this intelligent thing mm-hmm. um which is not the case for the Camino. the part of its scariness is that it has knowledge and has the ability to take knowledge uh and that's pretty cool i also just that's like exciting. want everyone to appreciate my sleeves visually yeah i just think they're really fun i feel like i like like, have a goofy shoulder me too yeah i feel like i like look like i would run a like boarding house or something (laughs) i don't know it's just like kind of cool or like the directress or whatever yeah i just look like i run stuff like i'm important (laughs) (laughs) so people who are watching you can see cat in her sleeves got poofy sleeves you're welcome (laughs) her poop sleeves um today we're going to be talking about Kamiho, like I said, and it's a little different because we're going to be talking about an episode of a series that one day I think we'll probably cover the entire series or like pieces yeah. of the series as a whole. Um, but this specific episode is really like can be taken as a standalone. Um, it like it, it applies to the rest of the series, but uh-huh. it was, I remember when it was when it came out everyone was very confused because they were like whoa we're like back in time this whole thing is happening and why are we here and um why do we even have to hear from this character what does it matter um and so it is very interesting to to kind of explore it as an individual as opposed to the entire series so um we are covering episode six of lovecraft country titled meet me in daegu um and it's because it's solely uh, focusing on uh, Gia, who uh-huh. is uh, Tick's former love interest. So, yeah. um, like, we still get a little bit of, like, we do get some backstory for Tick, and we get some backstory for uh, some supernatural elements, but it's so independent of what's happening back at home for Tick that it's it's kind of interesting that it was, that an entire episode was dedicated to it. Um, yeah, it's kind of, it's like its own little movie. Um and it's it's one thing that's cool about it's like most of the dialogue until we're introduced to Tick is in Korean, so that's like yeah. also pretty cool. You like feel transported in that way as well. Yeah, and you know I love um, Korean media, so um, it, like it wasn't hard <laughs> to just like listen to uh, and read subtitles because I was like, oh yeah, that's like what I would do anyway. Subtitles, yeah, accessibility helps everybody, but also yes. it helps learn languages. Yeah, and you also get to open worlds like an op- it's like an open book to different worlds, right? Like where you get yeah. to experience different cultures and and media just because you can we can read it Uh, (laughs) but I would say the only thing that makes it not like incredibly sufficient as a standalone is that it does leave on a little bit of a cliffhanger because it does apply to what's happening with uh tick um Uh and so then we see her later but up until uh this episode she really was just like that one she was like the red 
Martian girl in the opening scene that Tick sees. Um, okay, but yeah. we don't really ever get to see her until late. And everyone's like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, she's what? like this ominous kind yeah. of being that like communicates with Tick through the phone, but like you don't really get to yeah. have much of an understanding of like one why or like what the actual story is. I want, I think we should eventually probably find like movies about it, like Kamiha specifically. Oh, yeah. Because there are some. And there was a, apparently a K drama where it's like my roommate is a Kimiho and I was like well now I want to watch this <laughs> yeah it's not yeah. horror but like maybe I don't know maybe it has like elements yeah fun. yeah and again because it's the way that they approach that uh story and like the the that type of monster that can make it fun um but uh I just really loved Gia in Lovecraft Country and uh-huh. we really wanted to tell different monsters because other monsters exist and specifically in Lovecraft country, right. Is like, we were so focused on this, um, the dichotomous relationship of like the monster and like the monster of America. Uh Um, and just like the, the characters kind of struggling with the supernatural. And then we're in like Korea and there's like this whole other approach to the supernatural that was just like accepted. Right. Like it was just like, yeah, this is just reality this is how it happens and so there's yeah, a whole like different, different understanding monsters exist that outside of well the very racist lovecraft man <laughs> yes <laughs> imagined up he's um, not the only one who, who thought who knows of them or works with them yeah. um although like the way that they portray the fox spirit in this is kind of lovecraftian and like that it's kind of tentacles yeah you know and like that so that's kind of interesting um but i mean it fits in so perfectly because of that like um it makes sense that sh- like her monster exists in a world where all these other monsters also exist. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, which is super fun. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, we we loved it. And like I said, we'll talk about Lovecraft Country, the series. In a future episode, we have covered Lovecraft Country, the book, book. in a previous episode. So if you want to check that out just to hear about some of the differences, um, though it's like the show hadn't been out yet, so it's not like this doesn't happen. This does. I'm just like, here's what happens in the book. And it's kind of fun. Um, there is no Gia in the book. So it's, it's completely standalone and made for the show. And it's very interesting. (laughs) All right. So let me hop into my section. So, uh, like I said, we're talking about Lovecraft country, meet me in Daegu, which is, uh, premiered in 2020. Um, and it is about, uh, in the throes of the Korean War, nursing student Gia crosses paths with a wounded Atticus who has no recollection of their violent first encounter. And it is directed by Helen Shaver. And um, it's, like I said, so standalone. There's a lot of really interesting um, discussions about being a woman and existing in society and um falling victims to certain oppressive qualities to uh, fit in and do what is expected of you to avoid shame. And so a lot of things, uh, there's a lot of levels to each one of the women that are featured in this show. And um, like when Tick is, I would say (laughs) I had a hard time really resonating with Tick throughout the entire series. Um, And I would say this episode does a really good job of humanizing him and kind of putting his experiences into context so that you can understand him for the rest of the series and kind of understand some of the motivations and just where he's coming from um, in a way that like, if we hadn't gotten this glimpse, I don't know if I would ever 
have really understood or appreciated Tick. Yeah. Um, which so, gives you insight into like the specific trauma that he got to, got to he experienced. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And the many levels of that, like in in Gia exploring her identity and finding herself, like Tick is also doing that, and they can uh-huh. help each other. Um, and they're cut like from different angles. Like they have different reasons why they are being oppressed or being um, forced into these little boxes, um, and told how to, uh, operate. Um, and so it's kind of like through each other are able to do that, but there's also, um, this film, the show also does, has a lot of very interesting and, uh, like I'm grateful for some of the queer representation that happens in the show specifically, um, with certain characters that are usually not seen in, uh-huh or or just on television um being queer and so i was very thankful and in this episode we do have some queer undertones that i think were she not the love interest for tick in this uh-huh. way she very easily could have just been exploring that and like there could be a whole film about that <laughs> it's like we yeah. get a whole film about her actually like while she's figuring herself out and learning to love herself that she's also um like that comparison of being monster size is also um, because society is homophobic as well. And uh, in ways, so I like the exploration of the monster was like really interesting. And it was very not subtle about how, as you were saying, like they're how Tick is experienced this like very monstrous experience and also just being monsterized by society and then Gia who is a literal embodiment of an actual monster is like they're finding humanity is horrible and filled with monsters and why are we separating we're not the ones we're not the monsters yeah it's like everyone has a little bit monstrous and it doesn't mean no one deserves happiness or love so yeah I thought that was also cool yeah yeah and let me tell you about it let me tell you all about why um so season one episode six of lovecraft country takes a step back from the plot um from taking the others adventures discoveries and nightmares and we get to learn about the past flame gia and her monstrous origins so um gia is a young korean woman who had uh actually been sexually abused as a child by her mother's husband and to save gia her mother consulted a female shaman who then invited a kumeho uh, a kumiho fox spirit to inta- inhabit her body and protect her um and what we learn about this spirit is that it is essentially uh the gia we know and have always known in this episode um in had swapped out the original girl for this monstrous spirit creature Uh allegedly right um though it's kind of just an allegory for when uh abuse happens such as that that you are no longer the person that you once were Uh um and that you sometimes are just this coping mechanism trying to continue to exist and protect yourself uh and so she was gia (laughs) like that's the problem with her mom she was gia it's just like this is the gia that has to that has had to learn how to live throughout this so um there's a lot of levels <laughs> to it. Um, but in order to get her daughter back, supposedly the original Gia that her mother thinks is still out there. Um, her mother tells her that she needs to devour a hundred souls of men and to extract these souls. Gia lures men to her home with promises of sex. And in the midst of men's passion, she unleashes nine tails, one from every orifice 
yes, every orifice um, that connects to the man into their orifices. Yes. Uh, orifice eye. Uh, and connect it. <laughs> you see, like, yeah. the one, and he's like, oh, and I was like, I know where that one went. Um, <laughs> that's good. That's very good. Uh, then she siphons his life energy and memories uh, from before in their entire life. Uh, kind of, she gets to see them. She gets to experience them and remember them. And at some point, that's all she remembers is their life. And none of it is her own. Um, yeah. And then they burst into a lot of blood. And yeah. that's it. That's what they are. Um, so, yes, it's horror. <laughs> like, Lovecraft yeah. Country is incredibly the scene, horror. though. <laughs> when the man explodes yeah Literally. and she's just like <laughs> like yeah. you're just sitting there like that happened yes yeah especially because it happens like she has been you know trying to go on these blind dates because she tells she confides in someone that um her mother didn't ask her to bring home a man her mother demanded that she bring mm. home a man and so she goes on these like she's in like a speed dating thing and none yeah. of the men are really getting her and then eventually she goes to a bar and she's like all of a sudden this kind of different creature like she's sexual she's like has this whole different energy from before where she was kind of like polite and soft um and i think both of those gia's are gia yeah. <laughs> so it's like she doesn't just become a mom i think this is both of her um but she learns this man and he's like yeah let's go and he's clearly having a very good time uh and she she's she's like all right whatever uh she's gorgeous <laughs> like text yeah. the cat you're i said she is really pretty and then immediately after that the dialogue is the man being like you're so pretty and i was like dang it <laughs> I don't want to be this guy, but it's true. Uh, I don't want to explode. And then uh, he's like in the middle of it, like, like in like 30 seconds, he's ready to go. And then just all, the, and he's so, he's so enraptured by this whole experience that he doesn't notice that she has all these like tentacles coming out of all of her parts. Yeah. Um, and the tentacles are really gross. They're like They're furry. Like fuzzy. Yeah. And they got like, uh, almost like nails or like claws a part of or teeth I guess are a part of them too and you kind of like see them as like, Barbs like what sorts. a great op like the show is really great at gore and just being like really gross and we're just doing things that are unexpected and horrifying and you're like With oh god body, yeah yeah uh so he does that and then like he just literally just there's no guts is what it is <laughs> like there's no like oh yeah they liquefy it's just liquefied um yeah and then she's just like putting out the candle. She's like, all right, another another day, another blood exploded bath. body. Yeah. Uh, or my youth. I um, bathe in the blood of my enemies. Yeah, um, we all should. Um, no, I'm kidding. Don't do that. You don't condone that. <laughs> anyway, uh, essentially she has to devour a uh, hundred men in this yeah. way. Um, and Kat will explain in her section what the cameo represents, but it's no yeah. mistake that she is eating the souls of men specifically. Like we've covered generally when you're monstrosizing women it's like like because we have to fight back against what men are doing to us and this is what we do and so it's either women are awful and they manipulate us or it's we're empowered and this is how it comes out so yeah uh, of men and during the korean war where american soldiers have made her town their home abusing and murdering the very people they were supposed to protect she should have no challenge finding bad men to remove from the world and that is until she meets tick and learns to love herself as she is and yeah when we first meet Tick in this episode, like like it said in the description, uh, you 
don't know why he's still alive. Um, yeah. How he managed to survive because he didn't deserve it. Um, but this episode offers like, at first. Okay. Yeah. Um, but this episode offers us a glimpse a glimpse into the complicated identity that Gia holds. We see her obsessed with Judy Garland in American cinema because the theater is an escape from the instability and fear of the world around her. We see yeah. her struggle against the ideology that she cannot feel love nor be loved. That's what her mother tells her, that as a monster, she doesn't have this ability. And it's uh, a question of like... The, if we kind of step away from the fact that she's a literal monster and, and this is just a personification of her trauma, is it yeah. because of that trauma that she can't be loved or find love? Um, and like, what that a she's messed up thing that a mom would say to their child, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. If, that's what, if that's what it actually went like. Yeah. And a part what? of that is like, a part of it is also like the mother's guilt on yeah. her because it, is, it was her husband and and there's a scene where Gia kind of confronts her and is like I all I know is that abuse from him I don't know anything else about him and I don't know what is wrong with it because yeah you never really told me that um yeah. and she essentially says like he chose you because you had a daughter out of wedlock and that you wouldn't do anything about it yeah. because you didn't want to live with the shame yeah. That society was putting on you because of that. Like you needed to earn your place back in society at the expense of your daughter. And now I'm this monster. And so yeah. it is like that, um, like this familial, like burden that you've put onto me. Um, yeah. and then you reinforce that by saying, now I no longer am deserving of love and am yeah. incompatible, like incapable of loving. <laughs> so it's a lot. Yeah. It's like not recognizing the, systemic issue of like what put the mom in a vulnerable position in the first place and then also just like not recognizing what the real problem was mm -hmm. but yeah it was a lot was but like you know the mom is also caught in her own trauma but she doesn't yeah. have the time you never got to heal uh, yeah. from it either yeah so it just becomes cyclical that's what happens um so uh something that's super interesting about this uh, episode and about Gia's story actually is that she begins a friendship um, that at times felt like so much more than that. Uh -huh. um, there's just an intimacy and a closeness that I think exceeds friendship um, and was a necessity for her. And it's with a fellow nurse named Youngja. Uh, and Youngja is a cool girl. Like she yeah. speaks informally with men and catches their attention. And like, that's a big deal. Um, like uh -huh. we've talked about in, in uh, squid game, just like specifically with Korean culture, there's like ways the that you're supposed to, yeah, yeah. Honorifics, the way you're supposed to talk to people. And so it's like a big deal that she like is okay with the fact that this guy started talking to her informally and all the girls are like, what? Um, <laughs> Gia sees her like, fold her socks a certain way so she tries to like keep up with that so um like young young is just really cool and she keeps up with trends and she's an activist and she uh isn't afraid to be herself yeah. uh, more importantly and also uh isn't is very adamant about other people being themselves and like yeah. appreciating who they are and just being that right and so um Gia becomes interested in Youngja and starts mirroring her behaviors and style to fit in um because again she hasn't quite figured out how to be human in the way that people are expecting her to be and yeah. so she kind of like mimics her to get to that um 
And soon, through like these soft touches, there's a lot of hand holding and these yeah. shared intimate moments. The women become best friends. They get very close. Um, and Young Jo tells Gia, there's nothing wrong with being different. What is wrong is them vilifying us, essentially. Yeah. Um, and when I was watching this, I was very much reading into this as like Gia struggling with her sexuality, not yeah. just like literally she's a monster because like young joe doesn't know she's a monster <laughs> like yeah. young joe doesn't know she's a nine-tailed fox like she doesn't know that what she yeah. knows is that gia feels some kind of confliction within her and that she does not feel comfortable in her own skin that she is um is controlled and manipulated into a specific form by her mother and kind of overwhelmed by the burden of that expectation and that part of that could stem from the connection that they feel and so she's trying to allow Gia the space to realize that she's not a monster yeah and like yeah she is like a monster and that she's a nine-tailed fox uh but that's really like and 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 it's portrayed as the overarching uh uh point of contention between her and her mother but there's uh -huh. so much more happening here obviously <laughs> so yeah. that's how media works but um the fact is that gia is continually pressured to fit in and be what her mother tells her to be and she is wrong if she operates otherwise the expectation of women in this society at that time and even still um is that of a respectable obedient and pure woman um gia's existence is in direct opposition to the proper way to be and furthermore gia's change came after the abuse from her father like i said she had transformed for protection her mother yeah. can no longer view her as the daughter who she as she had been um she's changed now and having yeah. her innocence and autonomy stolen from her first by her stepfather then by her mother who cursed her uh only to then shut her off um emotionally uh and then lastly everyone else right yeah. like the men in daegu don't care for her they don't understand her um, interest in like Western media and they find her awkward, like clearly playing the part of sociable without ever being that. Um, like she tries to, like I said, mimic Youngja in the way that she offers. So she's like, I'm going to call you Opa and like be really overly friendly with you. And the guy's like, that's weird. And then the next guy, she's like, let's have something in common. And he was like, he uh, actually says really something interesting because she really loves Western media. Uh -huh. And he's like, you know, the Japanese spent 50 years trying to erase our culture. Why are you obsessed with this? Like, we should be preserving what we are um, and kind of just dismissing her love for Judy Garland. And then she does uh -huh. end up with a connection to a man who also likes Judy Garland, but he still crosses her off and ends up like wanting to go out with Youngja. And I think the biggest part of that is she comes, Youngja comes up and talks to her and is like, come out to coffee with me. This guy is actually a bore. Like, yeah. <laughs> but she's not so desperate that she's grabbing any man she can find. Um, but she's just like, I'm just trying to be nice. This is what it's expected of me. Um, so I'm going to go for coffee. But it's kind of like, it's because I don't want anything to do with this man. I want you to be there. Please pick up on the fact that I want to be close to you. Um, yeah. And she says, like, I hope that you reconsider and you do hang out with me. Um, but it was like, it was just really interesting because you kind of see this moment for Gia when she's talking to that guy, like, oh, maybe she found one. And then yeah. it's like, he's not even worth it. <laughs> like, you're grabbing on straw, like, nothing. Like, 
literally nothing that's appealing. He's boring. And you just don't yeah. know that because you're trying to, to have anything. Yeah. Um, just trying to meet like, yeah, the expectations of what everyone else is putting on to her and like expectations of who she should be or how she should operate. Yeah. Sure. And Young Joe immediately is like, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to do that, hon. Uh, then there's also the American men who are stationed here that see her as like an exotic meal. Um, they're often hooting and hollering at her, catcalling her, saying things yeah. about her. Um, and so they're not seeing her as an individual person, but as an object, it, essentially a set piece in the environment that they're tasked with protecting. She's yeah. just, a, she's like another building to them, right? Um, yeah. They're going to go home one day and forget who she was forever she's less than a person um because she's korean as well to them so there's a lot of levels to that um so it isn't until she has this experience of connection uh with youngja of being seen and appreciated and told that she is enough just as she is uh that she can allow herself to be loved and to love in return and it's yeah. like a whole moment for her like talking to her mother like actually i can love turns out I have been doing it for a minute. <laughs> like, yeah. I've been like putting that, I've been doing that. So um, I found this like interview with actress Jamie Chung, who plays Gia uh, on uh, the website Datebook. And uh, she discusses the depth of Gia and her Kamiho. And she says, You have this young girl who didn't have control over her own body, was sexually assaulted, and then you have the kumiho that takes over her body, and through all of these sexual experiences, she gets control. She has control when she's seducing these men and taking their souls, and it's rare when sexuality is used from a female perspective where they also have control of the situation. Um, which is true, right? Like, same thing with Jennifer's body. That's what we were hoping for, was for yeah. her to be able to use it as a tool. And at, at some points, like, she does. Like, it is a point of power and she doesn't feel afraid of men because she has the ability to do this though um there's a moment with tick where she like there are times where she's afraid um but she still has some power that she can uh hold but yeah. she can kill you at any time <laughs> she's just like and it'll be your fault because you want like you, you mistook any of this like connection or like interaction as you having a right to her body yeah. Uh, there's many things to unpack in this episode. Um, we get to see new parts of Tick that we hadn't before. Like we get to uh -huh. see this monstrous soldier who murders when ordered to, um, which is really like you see him and he's like cold, um, like dead eyed when he yeah. does it. Like he has to turn off certain parts of him to commit this act. And this is the first time Gia meets him. And yeah. it's with uh, it's where he's helping murder young women and ultimately takes her best friend away where she obviously dies after being tortured. Um, but we also get to see an intimate part of, of tick, um, that we've gotten in small doses up until this point, but, uh, it's this repentant, soft virgin bookworm that he is inside like this, um, just sweet, soft boy that yeah, he has trauma transformed. Yeah, that he's had to, like, pocket away uh, yeah. because he's in the middle of a war. Uh, and Gia finds similarities in Tick uh, that she never would have guessed. Because uh, once she's convinced that she would kill him because uh, she recognizes him, he doesn't recognize her, obviously. Yeah. And uh, 
she's like, I'm going to kill him. So she begins yeah, to get vengeance, close. To yeah. yeah, rightfully so. And she actually starts to learn about America specifically and its inequalities. Um, after asking him if he knows Judy Garland, it's him and uh, a friend of his who's, who's also Korean, but he's uh, Korean American. And so yeah. they have this whole conversation about how he can't fit in in America and he can't fit in here. Um, yeah. He just doesn't belong anywhere. And then, you know, Tick explains like, <laughs> like black people are not treated any type of well in my country and she's like why yeah. would you fight for a country that doesn't care about you yeah. um and she learns about like his uh struggles with his own father and the complexities that come with fighting a war um for a country that oppresses him and his people he she finds out about the lack of autonomy that he has um being a soldier in this war and how sometimes those escapes that we have built up for ourselves like for her the movies and for him the books aren't enough anymore um and like specifically in like there's so much that can be said about tick like in that episode and just like getting that glimpse like i said but for this series we're talking about Gia and her mantras femme journey and so I think through her relationships with Youngja and Tick she finds that she can find love and be loved specifically um and she confronts her mother's biases and learns to subdue her tales even when uh intimate with Tick uh kind of um like having this connection with her monster as opposed uh-huh. to just wanting to rid herself of it she starts to kind of accept it as a part of her uh-huh. not something that needs to be vanquished or removed it's just like this is what i live with this is a part of my power and it's a, a coping mechanism that has saved me all this time um and at one point she tells tick um we have done monstrous things, but we are not monsters um, because she is learning to love herself as much as to love others and to no longer feel like a visitor or an invader in her own body. Uh, And instead to embrace who she is and accept herself as the true Gia, right? Not the girl who replaced the other one. This is just what Gia has become, um, which just happens to be a monstrous femme and that's okay. Yeah. Like let her honestly, <laughs> it's 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 like there was so much going on that like made it really emotional. Like watching her journey was really emotional, and that like mm-hmm. she had never been given like the chance to figure out who she was, be her authentic self, and like I thought like the connection with Young Joe was so powerful, and that like to see kind of who you want to become in another person is like a really powerful thing, and. Yeah, the entire development of her character was, like, really interesting. And it actually differs in a lot of ways from the actual, like, lore associated with a cameo. Um, in that, like, the method of achieving humanity um, is the opposite of what Gia is tasked with doing. Like, you're supposed to abstain from eating human flesh instead of encouraged to eat human flesh. I do think I there's a lot of question that happens when she's doing that like with her mom is like you only need three more souls or whatever and she's like did they tell you that like she's like who told you that how do you know and she's like and is that all that they said because she's like doubting it she's like I don't believe you and I think part of it is that her I don't think that's true I don't think she was the 100th soul or whatever was going to release her because again she's her um she just also like exists with this spirit um but i think it really was that her mom like for one 
the fact that she put the curse on her daughter to protect her, yeah. even though it made her into a victim even more. Um, but I think she was using her as a tool to get back at men specifically. Like, I don't think yeah. that it was true <laughs> that a hundred souls would release her. And instead she was like, all men are evil and I'm going to use my daughter. Who's now a as monster to do that. Vengeance. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I think. Yeah. And I mean, it was really interesting too. Like the wonder, the like overtones of queerness. I was like wondering like if, Jia even did like having sex with these men and like in there it was very interesting and like kind of wondering like what is the actual like who would Jia be without these predetermined mm-hmm. things that she's forced to be would she get to go if young Jia was not unjustly murdered like would she would they have had a happy ending would there have been like a whole other arc with this like storyline that would have been really cool yeah um, and i guess and we it, can just always be like i don't know because yeah. we can't know ultimately. but she like never enjo- like you can tell she was never enjoying a, a sexual interaction with man until tick and it was yeah. until this moment where it was like intentional and it was not it was like for her as much it was yeah. it was for him um and it wasn't just like a like I have to complete this task. Um, so it's wondering like, (laughs) um, just like how, uh, like, yeah, if she really, like, maybe she's even like pansexual because she only, yeah. And you need that like emotional connection to kind of establish what you want. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's super real. And I think the, who I, not to say anyone, I'm not going to assume anyone else's experience, but I related very much to, it is a task. You're just going. Yeah. I've had that kind of experience before. Luckily that is not my current experience, but like, that's so real. Like, yeah, uh, they don't explode at the end, uh, into blood we and guts all over the walls. Uh, but ultimately, <laughs> Yeah. Do they continue to exist they in my life other tomorrow? Yeah. No. Yes. Yes. But yeah, that's so funny. Um, but yeah, I'll get into some of the lore, I guess, you know, let's talk about it. So what is a Kamiho or it's also spelled with a G sometimes. Uh, Wikipedia defines the Kamiho as a nine-tailed fox spirit who preys on its victims by taking the form of a beautiful woman and oftentimes seducing men with the goal of consuming their life essence, mm-hmm. hearts, and livers. It does remind me very vaguely of that incel website yeah. uh, that described the succubus because that is very much what they described as taking place as their essence yeah being stolen uh makes them a man by this trickster lady um it's just really uh the language specifically used to describe what the kamiho does is very reminiscent of the succubus and i I don't know which one came first so it could Mm -hmm. just be that there is a underlying wish to villainize the feminine form, women in general, um, that is cross-cultural, unfortunately. Uh, but the role of the Kamiho seems to lend similarly to that of the vampire, werewolf, sucker, this that we say in Western lore, in that the stories of the Kamiho always revolve around the consumption of essence and or sometimes organs, not babies. That's not uh, included with the Kamiho, but uh, it's mm-hmm. often women preying on men uh not exclusively there are like a few like at least one example of uh male kamiho but uh they're few and far between kind of thing Mm -hmm. um 
One thing that I really appreciate about the Camus is that it doesn't position the idea that women themselves are inherently evil. Uh, and ultimately, there's this underlying capacity for good if the Camus were to fully transition to a human. So it like does kind of separate the feminine form somewhat from this evilness that I don't think you see with succubi or like werewolves. They're kind of like half human, half this, like mm -hmm. this kind of is like a spirit that exists and enters into these situations, but it can turn into a human though, which I thought was very interesting. Um, the lore with the Kamiyo does seem to differ from its Chinese and Japanese counterparts. Uh, the wiki article continues to say, while China's, Huli Jing and Japan's Kitsune are often depicted as ambiguous moral compasses, possibly good or bad. The Kamiho is almost always treated as a malignant figure who feasts on human flesh. It is unclear uh, at which point exactly in time Koreans began viewing the Kamiyo as a purely evil creature, um, since many ancient texts mention the benevolent Kamiyo assisting humans um, and even makes mentions of wicked humans tricking the kind and naive Kamiyo. Um, in later literature, the Kamiyo were often depicted as bloodthirsty, half-fox, half-human creatures that wandered cemeteries at night, digging human hearts out of graves. Um, and something that was interesting about this is there is some history around like the different ways foxes interact, uh, specifically like in Korea that there, there was a frustration with them invading like their garden beds and like food sources. Hmm. Um, and uh, possible instances of them digging literally up human graves because of like wanting to feed um, that uh, could have influenced like this negative viewpoint of the fox itself. Uh, in some of the lore, they're viewed as just the fox themselves are viewed as bad luck, whereas like in J Japan and China, they're viewed more favorably um, mm. and kind of like as good creatures, not inherently bad creatures. Um, an interesting piece of this reminds me of a familiar fear that could exist within vampire lore and that to exist for thousands of years allows for the acquisition of a complex knowledge of humanity and its history as well as its flaws. So the Camillo itself is written with this understanding that it possesses a lot of knowledge, which is something kind of unique to the Camillo in comparison to uh, the Yulijing or uh, the Kitsune. Kitsune. Yeah, I had to scroll for a second to make sure I said it. Um, but yeah, so the Kamiyo is also written as a creature of knowledge, sometimes carrying a book in its mouth uh, or with a bead. This is that is both used as a way to steal the life force of a human, but also as a storage device for knowledge. Mm. Um, and we see this in uh, the method of getting this knowledge and these memories uh, with GI and how through the sex and kiss and what have you, they're able to steal the memories of their victims. Uh, the essence of knowledge is something that's very unique to the Camillo, though. Uh, the wiki article continues, the most distinctive feature that separates the Camillo and its two counterparts, the Kitsune and the Hulijing, is the existence of the Yawu Gusio, uh, which literally means fox marble slash bead, uh, which is said to consist of knowledge. According to Korean mythology, the Yawu Gonsyo provides power to the Kamiyo and knowledge and intelligence to people if they can steal it or swallow one. Uh, the Kamiyo can absorb human energy with it, and the method of absorbing energy resembles a deep kiss. Uh, the Kamiyo sends the Yawu 
Gunsel into people's mouths and then retakes it with their tongue. So that's why they say the kiss yeah. has to have tongue, because uh, that's their way of reclaiming the speed. Um, the knowledge stealing is something that feels very unique, though, in comparison to other monstrous feminine creatures we've covered thus far. Uh, the intelligence associated with the Camino spirit is an interesting twist on the fear associated with it. I think in some ways that could be both from fear of knowing oneself fully uh, and knowing someone's life entirely and being able to pass some form of judgment. Mm. Um, we kind of see that in the relationship of Gia and Tick. Uh, but that there's this like fear that we see from Tick of Gia seeing who he actually is, his past, his history, as well as like who he is now and being able to kind of like have all that information and pass like this kind of objective judgment mm-hmm. on his character. Um, and I think that's something that is a different element to the Camino that makes it a little more scary because they're, they're getting access to a piece of you, this vulnerable place that like no one else has ever seen no one else has the capacity to see because they can't physically see your memories or your actual life through your eyes uh they can only really go off of like what you tell them so i thought that was like a really interesting way to make that level of vulnerability really scary as well yeah um the lore of the cameo is something that's changed over time so the cameo didn't always exist as this evil creature um Mm -hmm. Some speculate that modern violent image of the Camillo is influenced during the Japanese occupation of Korea. Huh. Uh, nevertheless, Fox has often contained a negative image during the Koryo dynasty, uh, specifically because. Never mind, I don't know. It existed in the. Koryo dynasty, um, suggesting two different views could have coexisted in ancient Korea. So essentially, in this sense, the change in the lore was a reflection of the fears associated with the time, kind of like historiography operates, uh, that life happens, and then the Mm -hmm. views of different fears and monsters are transformed to meet the need of like what needs to be understood in a way that isn't available. So in the sense, the change of the law reflects the fears associated with the time. Um, the violence of the war correlating to the violence of the spirit is something that could have been used in the lore to make sense of the horrors experienced during that time. Um, and like the Japanese vilifying Korean people as well. Like that's a yeah. important part. Yeah. The, and the, the fact that the, but also that like taking the kitsune and like making it their own in this very like different way than it's seen in japanese culture as well i think is something that like is they're kind of taking back power from that Mm -hmm. thing as well um but a modern and scary fun twist on the fox spirit is apparently in 2022 which is now very Mm -hmm. recently um it's believed that a possible kitsune has been released in Japan. Um, the killing stone has split in two in Japan, unleashing what legend describes as an evil spirit trapped in the Seseoseki stone. So I'm going to share my screen. So in a Guardian article titled, Japan's Killing Stone Splits in Two, Releasing a Superstitions Amid the Sulfur Springs, says legend has it that there is an evil spirit trapped in the Seseo Seki Stone. So what happens now that the stone is broken? Woo. Okay. So, <laughs> um, so essentially in 
Japan, there is a mythology around this stone, the Seho Seki stone or killing stone. And the object contains like the transformed corpse of Tamano no Mei, a beautiful woman who has been part of a secret plot hatched by a feudal warlord to kill Emperor Toba, who reigned between 1107 and 1123. Um, the legend has it that her true identity was an evil nine-tailed fox whose spirit is embedded in the hunk of lava located in the area of Tochigi Prefecture near Tokyo, famous for its sulfurous hot springs. Um, the stone recently has separated into two roughly equal parts that mm. and it believes to have occurred recently and has really scared people online who noted that according to fol folklore, the stone continually spews poisonous gas, hence the name. So people who touch it die yeah. um, because it's, leaks poisonous gas there's also a theory that because it a few years ago it actually started the split so rainwater was able to enter the crack in the rock and further like open it um but essentially people are worried that uh the demon spirit tamano no Mei, has been resurrected after almost a thousand years of being held in this rock uh and I think it's pretty telling considering like what life is right now. If it start, if it started the split in 2020. Yeah. That was the origin of a lot of bad stuff happening everywhere. Yeah. So if the idea I didn't have is, that on my apocalypse bingo card. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, Obviously, like, we don't know, but uh, that the lore associated with the stone in that it does have this element of poison gas, but also that there's this idea that there's a kitsune trapped within it that is now free and able to wreak havoc mm -hmm. um, across Japan and elsewhere. Um, I think it's really interesting considering, like, what life has been like in, last, in the most recent future and, yeah. like, the kind of implications of that. And it's like, is the pandemic really blamed on this kitsune? Do they have the power to do that? What is the actual, is or is there just like local phenomena taking place? Or is this like going to be something that people blame kind of local catastrophes on? I don't know. There's lots of like ways in which monsters can be used to kind of rationalize the happenings of the world. So it's interesting that there's like something very today adjacent that's taking yeah. place in reference to like a kitsune, not a kamiho, but still very like similar in that it's a nine-tailed fox spirit believed yeah. to be free and it was a woman who was causing havoc when she was alive because yeah. i like and i when we were getting ready to do this episode i saw this like tiktok yeah you sent it to me yeah That's how um, i gained access to this knowledge yeah and they were like explaining that like she was this woman who was a nine-tailed fox and didn't want to like be what society was telling her to be and eventually becomes a concubine uh to the emperor and uh, because of like their connection. And so like, also depending like how concubines work during that time, right. is like, there uh -huh. was levels to them. There was like, they had different roles that they played politically and they can have a certain amount of power over those who were in charge. And so she had this connection with him, which made her kind of powerful and yeah. therefore a threat to the rest of the political forces. And so she was strategically murdered in that way um, to keep her. And it was under the guise of like, she's a Kumiho, like she's bad. She's a bad spirit. We're saving everyone by 
murdering this woman who literally just like I'm glad you have this context because I forgot that part of it and it's actually very good knowledge to have <laughs> yeah and it's it's potentially not even a fox spirit it's literally just a murdered person it was unjustly murdered because they had autonomy and power in yes. this situation wow it's exactly it yeah and then you know like and then if she wasn't a fox spirit like hopefully she is now and they put her into <laughs> right. a block and she can now have revenge in some way um like if anything's gonna turn you into a murderous nine-tailed fox spirit i think it would be that um but yeah. that's literally like she just was a woman who was operating outside of the norm of what was expected for women and men got upset about it and so i when i heard that story i was like it's so perfect because we are talking about like and it it is a kitsune but um the fact that they have those similarities and the fact that it's a kamiho um in korea so i was just like that's so like (laughs) also like way for google to be listening to our everyday life enough to like know yeah, that we were going to be talking about an ideal fox spirit, even if it is a different one. To be like, yeah. hey, did you know? Yeah, TikTok. Now you have this knowledge, like, so I think you're going to be into this. This is a monstrous yeah. femme, and I was like, I am. One hundred percent works out in my favor, and I think like, yeah, I really enjoyed like the specific. Uh, glimpse into the Kamiho and like that experience with Gia because like as because it is American media which I think is also important um, yeah. and, uh, like the actress a uh, lot of my sources too were American sources too I wasn't able I, I mean I don't read Korean so I wasn't able to find mm-hmm. like uh, there were like one or two English translated ones uh, that I pulled from but like I guess recognizing our lens as well mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah obviously yeah and I think like specifically with this like Jamie Chung is an, uh, a Korean American and that she comes from like immigrant parents and yeah. like uh, I read somewhere like they had spoken some Korean in the house but like very brief conversational so she had to learn mm-hmm. a lot in the fact that like they were like, we're going to make this whole episode majority Korean. Um, She was like, Oh, I gotta, (laughs) like, I really gotta learn. Um, But I thought that was like pretty amazing. um, Especially with the fact that there is that character who has to kind of straddle these two identities of being Uh Korean and American. Um, So for this actress to do that. And I think also like that in the midst of a, a show that is so heavily about specific American experiences to compare some of the struggles that are happening in an entirely different country, a country that we were occupied in, right? Like, and had no business being there. Like there's so much to unpack in that. And the fact that, yeah, because the fear of communism. Like, yeah, there's so much fear of communism in it. And it's like, and I think that's also a big part is like when she's, she's, a, she's a red Martian, right? Like she's a red yeah. alien in the beginning. And I'm just like, oh, I wonder. It's the color tone. Because <laughs> she's red. Yeah. Um, but also like, I, I appreciate that yeah. she wasn't a secondary character in this scene. Like they didn't make it specifically about Tick um, and that they took the time to make it a very Korean story, right? Like, it's not just the fact that they were speaking Korean, but um, they didn't take the time to, like, over-explain things, um, but they were still true. Like, there's a lot of, like I said, like, the cultural things that are still there, um, in, within the, the framework of their stories without, um, it being confusing or, uh, 
or trying to oversimplify it for Americans, like, you yeah. know, like dumb it down and like, oh, I don't know if Americans are going to understand this. It's like, because it's kind of like the oppression of women um, is something that every culture has experienced in some way. And so yeah. we can do that. And then also like this fear of the other and monstrosizing them in some way. Like, of course, like she can understand to a degree what Tick is going through because of that. Um, yeah. And then he can understand her too. Apparently too, uh, I, the episode of the one podcast that I sent you, I don't remember the name of, but they were talking about the subtitles. Um, and we, maybe we'll link it so that they still get credit. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, the subtitles apparently were also like very respectful of the fact that like there are nuances to Korean honorifics that like mm-hmm. Americans wouldn't understand. So instead of trying to translate them incorrectly, kind of like how Squid Games did, mm-hmm. uh, they left them like in their like spelled out so that like yep. if you were curious you could google what uni meant uh yeah or, yeah yeah the color oma and uh, opa yeah yeah i noticed that when uh, since i was watching and i did i did see that that they use like the the terminology for the way that you're talking like you're using uh-huh. this speech versus this speech and it was the korean word uh in yeah. the subtitles i did notice that because i was like ooh, like and they didn't like you just kind of through context understand because um, she then like kind of elaborates and being like, yeah, he wanted to be comfortable and uh, kind of not use honorifics. And we were, I was fine with that because I'm cool. And then yeah. immediately the next scene is, uh, is Gia being like, Opa, you're so amazing. Like at the, yeah. the speed dating. And so you can see like she is performing what she just saw as the cool youngja. Um, yeah. And so you kind of get like, oh, maybe that's a part of the language thing. And yeah, like, you get literally just that. Into it. And like in a respectful way uh, that isn't always done. And I, yeah, I appreciated that the subtitles like were actually representative of what it was trying to express instead of like being like, it means sir or grandpa. Yeah. Like, well, I don't remember what Squid Games translated it to, but it was goofy. Like it was really, it was wrong. Like it was not yeah. the right translation with like she's i think she changed it to like yeah maybe it did say sir instead of saying opa and then there was like that yeah and this it says like oma it was spelt out and it was not like big brother or whatever because people would be confused um instead you're just like okay this seems like an affectionate term yeah (laughs) exactly so it's like more of a nickname than a yeah yeah and i think it for that it's really like and the entirety of lovecraft country even what i appreciate about that show is that it it trusts its audience to yeah. be smart and yeah. to have some like, just have the wherewithal to understand context yeah. and like do their own research if they have to um and there's so many like films or especially in horror sometimes where we over explain or we're just and that annoys me when you're like my audience are idiots they are so dumb big old dum-dums I have to explain every single thing to them in this very elaborate way and I'm just like oh I'm like tapped out now because I'm like how dare you (laughs) instead would be to be like one set it up so it's easy to look up what the thing would be and then also like I, as I said in the Don't Look Up episode, I want there to be next steps at the end of a thing, not yeah. during it so that you're like, okay, <laughs> what are we yeah. doing? I want it to be like, here's all the things you should know at the end so that you yeah. read like the, what is it called? The things with this text that scrolls. 
Credits. Credits. Thanks, babe. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Read your credits. Read those yeah. things. Um, I want yeah, those I, to have those things, so that's all I'm saying. Yes. Um, but yeah, there's so much to unpack uh, just in this one episode, so just imagine what the whole series would be. Um, and like I said, one day we'll cover all of Lovecraft Country. Um, but yeah, I hope you really enjoyed this episode of, about the Kamiho and specifically Gia and her experience. Yeah. Um, and just like the fact that we might have a real like Kitsune out there yeah. <laughs> ready to take vengeance on people. I'm very excited for her. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, honestly, her redemption yeah. arc, you know, uh, <laughs> her revenge. It's so exciting. Um, actually, just it's funny because that podcast you were talking about and how I said it reminded me of stuff we missed in history class. Uh-huh. I listened to this episode about this, like, maybe Venezuelan. I th- whatever it was royalty in a spanish-speaking country um and there's like this love that was like forbidden and eventually like the political people like murdered her uh-huh. and she's known as like this ghost bride and i was i remember being very disappointed at the end of the story that she didn't become like an actual ghost that s- like sought vengeance like that yeah. that wasn't a part of the lore and i was like where's that i want i'm gonna <laughs> like re- <laughs> take this story and be like actually she became a really cool like vengeful monster and she yeah. like murdered, murdered all them the and it doesn't even matter that like her husband just happened to be really sad about it yeah. And it's like it's not enough that her kids are like validated and get to be you know uh in line to inherit the throne that doesn't matter to me she was wrongfully murdered yeah <laughs> so, it's like this whole thing her. too you also it's like vengeance conflict but also like yeah do it but also like don't but yeah like, also yeah, like, well, yeah. yeah but it's, it's, it's tough it's the human experience is complicated and honestly though like okay so say cameos are real and they exist similar vein to they know everything about humanity and how trash it is and how garbage and then they intervene with divine judgment like it's kind of like our fear of aliens and then like if they came down and we're like wow y'all suck uh let's just explode the whole planet um could you even argue against it yeah so yeah it's just like interesting that's just very interesting that there uh it manifests even in monster lore uh mm-hmm. with that being said don't get married let your kids or don't have kids or don't be a person let's be a monstrous individual yeah embrace it we're not we've done monstrous things but we're not monsters